Good morning, and welcome back to the In Defiance of Modern Society podcast. My musings as I wander through the world in search of God, wisdom, truth, and what I feel is a lost civilization. Now, you know, I always open with that little tagline I was one day just writing in my journal as I came up with the, t- the title and the topic for the title and the premise for this podcast. And, you know, I write it every time I put my outline together. And, you know, it, for the most part, it stays the same. But I think about that when I say lost civilization, I'm like, is that, is that a good phrase to share? You know, is that bringing us together? Or is that creating more division? Because I feel the more I move through my life and the more I've done this podcast and, you know, I, I think about division and that's one of the rules I, I do my best to follow is if it causes division, do what you can to either stay away from it, work to better whatever that division is such that not that I'm trying to cancel it in this cancel culture we unfortunately live in, but to combat it, but understanding that, you know, through war, you can't create peace. So it's how do you create peace through peace? You know, just different thought experiments that I have with myself and, you know, would love to eventually start having again with people. I used to have, you know, conversations like this all the time with, you know, an athlete of mine before every game, David Colomatis. We, I'd go and play uh, sewer, which was a soccer game with the guys. Um, but then I knew, you know, I'd see DK. This is his nickname is the first two letters or the, the letters of his first and last name. He'd walk into my office and I knew it'd just be me and him. And we'd sit there for 10, 20, 30 minutes talking life, Jordan Peterson type topics. And, you know, he helped influence me a lot. He actually was the first person who I believe brought up the hero of a thousand faces. That was the first time that thought and Joseph Campbell came to my life, you know, that we discussed in a, a podcast recently. So um, this is uh, episode number seven, you know, titled Work. Which, first off, I I do want to apologize, not only to you, uh, the listener, but to myself. For I didn't put out an episode last week on Thursday, you know, as I had set that goal for myself. You know, there truly is no excuse because any explanation would be just that, an excuse. You know, and I believe if if something matters deeply to you, you'll do it. And last week I just didn't, I didn't feel like it. So you know what? I had to apologize to myself for not putting in the work because it is a little bit of work to create. And we'll talk about creation and and work and and the joy of working and the love of working here. But, um, you know, for for those that are new to the podcast, I do want to say welcome, you know, in defiance of modern society. It's it's a phrase I came up with because to a point, everything I've incorporated into my life, especially over the last 10 years on my own healing journey, it has been in almost direct opposition of what society tells you is beneficial. Now, it began with nutrition. You know, I went down a long rabbit hole of seven, eight years of research and study and, you know, trying on myself that eventually, no, I needed to do it the way society was not, such that I mainly eat meat and I don't eat vegetables because they are poison. And it's a perspective thing, and, and that's where perspective is huge, you know, in, in life. And, you know, we can talk, touch on nutrition at different time because that's, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But, uh, you know, movement, you know, high-intensity type suffering, you know, it's necessary to create change in your life. And, you know, it's not just, you know, you can't have, you can't have 
a quality of life through comfort. You know, it has to be discomfort to bring the highest quality of life. You know, and that's in direct opposition. Everything is about comfort now. You know, I, I was walking around yesterday. I, I walked to the mall, which is a couple of miles away, just so I could walk around other people. And I just, I like viewing society. I like looking at people. And, you know, I can see energy and I can see how they move. And, and it's cool. You know, I, I kind of see through the matrix as Neo does in the end of that movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Required watching for any of my listeners. Uh, especially if you want to change the world, CTW. Uh, it's a phrase I came up with, you know, to remind myself when I'm doing the work of these podcasts that, that you're here to change the world. Remind yourself of that even in those darkest, deepest moments of loneliness and potential victimization of despair within your own life. And, you know, victimization is another great topic for, you know, modern society right now. Everybody's a victim. Everybody wants that handout. Well, there is none. You got to put in the work, you know. Uh, so again, you know, welcome. You know, if you're new to this podcast, uh, come from the perspective that society is most likely doing it wrong, and then you'll start to see the cracks in the lie that you're living. Uh, now, if you do uh, enjoy this, I do have an Instagram page, and I gotta keep working on that. You know, I I will post some some episode notes. You know, come and find us. You know, in defiance of modern society, all with an underscore between each word. Um, but yeah, you know, welcome. And let's delve into what is work. I enjoy this song, this this version of this song, Ain't No Mountain High Enough by Honest Men. And, you know, a mountain is a great metaphor for doing work. Uh, it takes just climbing that mountain day in, day out. Um, I discussed Kelly Sturette in my previous podcast uh, or episode, and he once said owning a business is like digging a hole. You just go into that hole and you dig every single day. And it's about being consistent. And that's where, again, I, I apologize in the intro where, you know, I wasn't consistent last week. I didn't put out an episode when it, consistency is key. And I remember, uh, I think it was a, a counselor that I was seeing junior year of high school. I still remember this guy. I don't remember his name, but he was a guy. And, and it was the first time where, you know, I realized there's certain connections in life that it just stuff seemed hidden in plain sight, so to say. Uh, but this guy said, just go to class and you'll pass when you're in college. And I was just like, oh, wow, that makes sense. You just, you show up, it's half the battle. You know, and then if you put in a little bit of work, you, all of a sudden you've passed. Now, again, passing, I disagree with, but that's, you know, a, di- a topic for a different day. But, you know, let's delve into this. What is work? What does work mean to you? Does work even matter? It's a great question. And these are great questions that I'm currently asking myself. You know, I'm, I'm asking myself these questions because of the transition I'm going through in my own life. The transition away from a world and life that I had set up for me in all intents intents and purposes. I'm asking myself these questions regarding work because I feel deep down that, you know, sharing the knowledge I have should be free. That all people should say, you know, know how to say and know how to move such that we 
began a discussion into movement as medicine in a previous podcast. You know, that the ability to move and know how to move should, quote unquote, be a free aspect of simply being human. Now, yes, I, I use the word should, which is a loaded word, a word that implies guilt if the topic it is discussion is not undertaken. You know, that, that ties into NLP, which is Neuro Linguistic Programming, which uh, I can delve into at a different time, but it basically it can be used to, to brainwash, it can be used to deceive, it can be used to hypnotize. You know, but you can also use it for yourself to hypnotize yourself that if, if you know certain words such as should, need, must, have to, if you stay away from those words, your, your life's going to be a lot better. You know, the other word I used was free. What is free or freedom for that matter? Yeah, I was, I was walking the other day and it hit me that freedom doesn't truly exist. Now, let me, let, me, let me describe that. What I mean by that is that within this material world, we are, quote unquote, enslaved by things. These things require something from us. These things such as food, water, uh, shelter, survival are all necessary for us to live that without them we would perish. So what do these few things that are necessary in life require? They require work. You know, they require us to put in work to gather these life essentials that without work and without or and work that is cooperative will lead us you know, to failure. So that we, we need to be cooperative for a bright, fulfilling future. You know, and I'll touch on the freedom aspect a little bit more that, you know, you can't just sit all day doing absolutely nothing and have everything given to you. you know, we'll touch on some Bible verses later on, you know, where it discusses thou that doesn't work shall not eat. You know, so we are all enslaved to something. And, that, and it's an interesting feeling that I just realized that, you know, throughout my upbringing and the trauma I experienced, I have always wanted this, I have this deep down need of being free and being let alone and, you know, don't tell me what to do attitude because I was told what to do for so long and, and it was overbearing and to a point, you know, imprisoning. So especially throughout this whole corona nonsense, which you know, we don't need to take up too much time on, but it's it it, it, it really hit on aspects of my previous life that it was it felt this enslavement I could feel the pinch and, and even now I feel a pinch in society a pinch in life that others don't and I have discussions with my dad a lot and you know about this that do people care that this pinch is happening you know this pinch is happening in every aspect you know you can look at nutrition as, as the main you know perspective that they're pushing plant Base nutrition so hard. Go look up the ingredients of the impossible burger and put it next to the ingredients for dog food. Remove the titles and you won't be able to tell me the difference. That's not nutrition. That's not health. And as we discussed in the previous podcast, healthcare is not healthcare, it's sick care. They want you to be sick. They want you to be, you know, less than. And it's funny because I, I watched uh, the movie The Matrix Resurrections and I was like, I don't know if I want to watch it. You know, it's just they're remaking stuff and it's like, come on, can we come up with new ideas? And that's something I think about is, you know, new ideas within music and movies and all that. And all that field is another topic in and of itself. But I watched it and, you know, it, 
it made sense to where... Shit, I just lost my train of thought there. Matrix Resurrections. Freedom. Ah, oh, wow. I'm not perfect. Well, if it comes back to me, it'll hit me. But there's there's a point in that... It, it, there's loops, and you know a lot of people didn't care for it, but when it, deep down, it basically was kind of almost laughing at us in a point of you know, what we're stuck in in this life. But anyway, moving on. So what is work? You know, how do we define work? What does it truly mean to work? You know, so when we define it, you know, work is the exertion or effort directed to produce or accomplish something. You know, the production or operative activity. Employment, everybody's favorite term, to earn a a livelihood. So... It can also mean labor or toil. And labor, you know, productive activity for economic gain or toil. Hard and continuous or to engage in hard activities of work that are exhausting and, and, and require effort. A labor, a laborous task. So again, toil, another unique word. You know, it's got this negative connotation to it that work does. And that's what, you know, society views it as. And even to a point I have, you know, in my search for what I would like to do next and, and seeing how much of a lie that we are potentially living in, in so many fields that where does, where does any of this matter to where, where can I put my efforts in the work I choose to do? You know, now I want to break down a little bit. Energy is the capacity for doing work and power is the rate at which you do work uh, divided by energy usage, you know, capacity, you know, and energy in, in science is known as a, a or the, the unit for energy is known as a joule, which again, I, I enjoy doing this podcast because I'm either relearning things or learning new things. Such that when we talk about, you know, a, a book passage of, of, my, of mine here in a minute, you know, I delved into the author a little more, which is really in, intriguing. You know, in, in physics, work as an equation is equal to force times displacement. You know, so work is the utilization of effort to accomplish a task such that if we need shelter, we can choose to expand energy, jewels, utilize our hands and build a house. You know, we could, or we could paint, or we could write, which basically means we create. In essence, work is necessary for creation. To create in in our world, we must exchange energy. Even God had to work, and God exchanged energy to create our beautiful realm, our home. Work is necessary to life, that even if we shy away from it, it'll find us. Or I'll make the argument, mental illness will find us and you'll go batshit crazy because you're not working. You know, that creation and accomplishment and change require work. That if you want to change the world, work is required. The second step to work is our attitudes towards it. Now that's a topic for another day.
snow little wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Oh, I got to remind myself of that because I am in search of a wife and I know it'll come one day. But let's move on and let's delve into work through the eyes of one of the world's greatest poets. Speak to us of work. Now, before we get into the book, The Prophet and the Mysterious Author, I want to take a moment to discuss the importance of this book and its serendipitous path and impact it has had on my life. And this book, The Prophet, first came into my life in July of 2010. You know, at the time, I was in the process of moving to Red Hook, New York to work at Bard College. Bard College located on Annandale on Hudson. Uh, it was a fun place. You know, you had the, 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 uh, the uh, Catskill Mountains in the backdrop. You know, when you're on the soccer field, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Uh, working up there and, and being in the Hudson Valley, you were relatively protected from the world. And, you know, I've touched on it in my previous podcast about how it was a great laboratory for me to study movement as medicine and, and, uh, and work it on myself and my athletes. And you know, I'm thankful for it. You know, but, you know, I was working at Bard, or I was, you know, I was in the process of moving to Red Hook, New York, as I said, you know, before I drove up on this beautiful summer day to put a deposit down on my apartment, I just so happened to open up my backpack and unbeknownst to me, my father had deposited in it an envelope, which contained a few things, one of which was this book. Another item was his Eagle Scout badge. And the last was a letter that was written by my stepmother. Now, I received this letter in 2010, you know, as I said, almost four years after she had passed. You know, so this was out of the blue. You know, this envelope, it was, it was weird. Open up my backpack because I know all the stuff I have. I know where everything is. Like, you know, when I lost my wallet, you know, a couple months back, which I, my argument is it was stolen, you know, 100%. Uh, I can't prove it, but that's my feeling. Um, but I know where everything is, always have, and I've always paid attention to my stuff because I've always taken care of it. You know, so I open up my backpack, and here's this envelope. You know, and, and it, it was weird. I didn't know what to do, so I kind of opened it up, and, and there's a book, and there's a letter, and, you know, the Eagle Scout badge. And, you know, I, I, I pull this letter out, and I read it periodically, you know, throughout my life, and, and it discusses a few things. You know, from the reason behind the, the Eagle Scout medal, which... You know, I was in Boy Scouts and, you know, I look back and I, I became a Life Scout, which was the rank under Eagle. And I could have became Eagle, but I, I was lazy. I didn't care. I didn't care enough to get it in my own opinion. And, you know, I used the argument that my Scoutmasters, they pulled me aside one day and were like, yeah, we're not, you're not going to make Eagle, Matt. You know, you haven't done enough, this and that. And I remember walking out of that meeting and I'm sitting on the bumper of my car and you know, I started crying. You know, because I had put in work, you know, but I don't know if I understood the work that was necessary to accomplish something so great at that time in my life. So, you know, the Eagle Scout was in there and, and in the letter it touches on why, you know, my dad and my, my stepmom gave it to me. Um, but the letter also discussed, you know, relationships, you know, following your heart. You know, it also stated that, you know, I should read certain books such as the Bible being one of them, you know, when I was looking for guidance, but also this book, The Prophet. You know, this is a profound moment, 
you know, my life. You know, where it, it brought a few tears to my eyes and it didn't bring as many as it would later, you know, when I started to heal from the abusive relationship between my stepmom and myself, you know, but I cried a little when I read this letter. It was like, oh my God, like from the grave, someone was speaking to me, you know, and I, I don't know if I've said it. I believe I have in a previous episode, but, you know, when you read books from authors that have passed, you know, you're reading something from the grave. They're talking to you from a different perspective. You know, so this was the first moment this book came into my life. It was like just the serendipitous, hey, you're going on a life journey. Here's something that you can utilize for guidance. You know, and even right now, I've got the Bible on top of uh, the book, The Prophet. And I'm looking at these two books, and they're, they're relatively similar in cover, cover color. And, you know, they're very, they're very influential if you want to utilize them. You know, so the second time that this book, The Prophet, came into my life, serendipitously was when I was in the hospital recovering from dislocating my spine and being paralyzed you know and I haven't really gotten into that story yet and I will later you know but I I was in the hospital and I was in the ICU and my surgeon who put me back together a wonderful man by the name of a Dr. Vissam Asafahani never forget that name First time I met him, he he walked in after the the ER surgeon or the ER doctor said, "Uh, yeah, you're going to permanent damage. You're not walking again. My boss was in the the, uh, emergency room at the time and I can't move my legs. And my boss is furious. He he flies out of the room and, you know, but eventually the neurologist, this Dr. Vissam Asfani comes in. He's like, Matt, you know, this is what's going on. You know, you dislocated your spine. I've got a surgery ahead of you, but I'm going to put you back together. And I was like, I'm walking out of here. And he looked at me. He's kind of like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> whatever we'll see what happens you know but you know he walked into my my room as I was recovering in the ICU you know and this is a day or two after I blew his mind you know we'll talk about that later you know but he walked into the room and he stopped and I remember he had this befuddled look on his face and he asked me he's like is that book yours sitting on that shelf you know he pointed and said the prophet you know and I described to him the importance of the book and myself and you know that not only that it was given to me by my stepmom, but I, you know, used it through life. And, you know, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm Lebanese. And, you know, that author, Khalil Gibran, is his favorite author. And that is one of his favorite books. You know, and that, and that moment that we shared, you know, he never expected to experience when he walked into that room that day. You know, and he said, oh, so if you can, and I'm thinking about it now, you know, if you can go into life never expecting anything, you will be blown away by, by what, what you receive. You know, expectation is you know, a leading cause of suffering, you know, in my opinion. You know, but so that's the second time. You know, this book had a weird confluence of events, and, and that doctor actually went to the University of Kentucky. He knew of a tattoo I had on me, and you know, we'll talk about that more at length. You know, because that's that's an amazing it's an amazing story, and you know, I think about it a lot. I don't really talk about it a ton anymore because I moved past it. You know, I'm not defined by it. It's just something that happened to me. You know, so. You know, but now for a third time, this book is having a big impact on my life, which yet again is at another point in a transition in my life. You know, so now, yeah, we're going to have two readings. You know, we're going to read from the prophet. You know, so this podcast might be a little longer. I don't know. I just, I don't think about lengths when I put together. I just, I try to put quality content together. You know, the second will obviously be from the Bible. This first one comes from this book. And... This book obviously has had a deep connection to myself and my family. You know, this, this book was written by Khalil Gibran. 
You know, I'm going to talk about Khalil Gibran a little because I feel it's it's important to know where an author came from and, and their perspectives and what they're sharing and what they're about. You know, so Khalil Gibran, he was born back on January 6th, 1883 in the village of Bisharari in what is now northern Lebanon. You know, at the time it was part of the Ottoman Empire. You know, it was Ottoman Syria, I believe I read. You know, and he had a, he had a tumultuous upbringing. You know, whether through the, the violent alcoholic father or just the exclusion, you know, from a formal education early on because of his family's faith that did not align with the Protestant teachers in his village. You know, so after 12 years of life, you know, in 1895, him, his mother, his half-brother, his two, sis- two younger sisters, they moved to the U.S., uh, moved to an immigrant village in New York City, and they were living in relative obscurity. You know, Gibran had to teach himself English on his own. You know, and he was heavily influenced at this time by some intellectuals and some artists. And this is where the art and creation bug hit him. You know, but eventually was sent back to Lebanon to attend high school. You know, in part because these artists' friends he was frequenting, his mother didn't approve of. You gotta love it when, you know, parents don't approve of something. You know, they can change your life. Yeah, well, that's the reason I wear shorts, even in winter. Um, so he gets sent back over to Lebanon, you know, tried to have a relationship with his father, just never never came to fruition, you know. But these friends were a great influence on Gibran and, and the future of his work, you know, whether it be the poetry or the artistry, the paintings, you know. So he traveled around a little in Europe, you know, after high school, but he eventually returned to the U.S. in late 1902. You know, he be- and at that time, he became a began a platonic relationship with a woman who would eventually name him, nickname him, the prophet, which is interesting because that's the title of his most renowned work. You know, but he moved back because at the time his, his mother and brother were, were dying. You know, eventually his mother passed away first of cancer and his brother then, you know, passed away from tuberculosis. You know, but this, this, this platonic relationship helped get him through at the time. You know, and it helped nickname him the prophet. So Gibran, first and foremost, was a painter. He considered himself a painter. That's what he loved doing. You know, he even, you know, later in life, you know, when he was writing, still wrote about the time that he was a painter. You know, he at the time, after his mom and, and brother passed away, he even had, a, you know, all his artwork on display. In a gallery in New York City, you know, but unfortunately it befell a terrible fate. You know, this gallery burnt down and the entirety of the Gibran portfolio was lost. You know, talk about a guy who just went through the, the heartache of losing a mother and a brother and not having a relationship with his father. Now, every, everything he put his work into was destroyed. This could have destroyed him. He could have been destroyed, but, you know, he chose to keep going on. Now, he wasn't a perfect individual, which we'll touch on later, but he kept going. And that's half the battle in this life is just keep going. You just don't give up. Which that's one of my tattoos. Which hey, that could be a nice you know podcast tattoo. My tattoos and how they you know parlay into wisdom and truth in life. So you know, but at this time, you know, Gibran began to work or write for a local newspaper. You know, which eventually led to pu- the publishing of his first book in 1905, titled Al Musica, music, musica, yeah, or in English, you know, on music. You know, and he was writing, you know, for a newspaper, which was in column form, 
you know, which was a huge influence on the bulk of Gibran's work, which were short stories or thought forms on topics such as love, marriage, children, that eventually, you know, when we read, you know, it'll be from the prophet, which is, you know, a short, a short column. You know, Gibran would receive more ins- instruction while studying art in Paris. You know, he went back over there in the late 19, in the late 19 knots, you know, so like 1908, 197 range, goes back to Europe, you know, and, and at that time, he was introduced to the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and this would heavily impact Gibran's future writing, including the prophet. Through the 1910s, Gibran's writing would gain popularity in mainly Arabic newspapers throughout New York City, because you know, he was Arabic, he wrote in Arabic, um, but he would translate his, his work into English and have a, uh, another platonic relationship that this lady would help uh, edit and correct his, his English and helped influence him in, in learning the English language. You know? um, but during this time, Gibran you know, would publish a number of books with a collection of short stories, all the while slowly working on the prophet which he worked on from 1912 until he finally finished in 1919. You know, this book, The Prophet, is a collection of thoughts, quote-unquote, from a mysterious prophet counseling his people before he returns to his island home. Now, this mysterious prophet had spent 12 years in, in this city with these people, and, and they, were, they were begging him not to leave. You know, originally this book, as I said, it was written in Arabic, translated in English, and this mysterious prophet, Al-Mustafa, is begged not to leave by the people of Orphalese. But upon the insistence of the seers Al-Mitra, he dispels truths on great themes of human life, such as work. So now we will read that passage, which I, I loved reading when I, when I first came up with the thought of this episode, and you know, it really hit me, and we'll talk about it here a little bit more in a minute. But let's read from the prophet by Galil Khalil Gibran. Then a plowman said, Speak to us of work, and he answered, saying, You work that you may keep pace with the earth and the soul of the earth. For to be idle is to become a stranger unto the seasons, and to step out of life's procession that marches in majesty and proud submission towards the infinite. When you work, you are a flute through whose heart the whispering of the hours turns to music. Which of you would be a reed, dumb and silent, when all else sings together in unison? Always you have been told that work is a curse, a labor, a misfortune. But I say to you that when you work, you fulfill a part of earth's fullest dream, assigned to you when that dream was born, and in keeping yourself with labor, you are in truth loving life. And to love life through labor is to be intimate with life's inmost secret. But if you in your pain call birth an affliction and the support of the flesh a curse written upon your brow, then I answer that not but the sweat of your brow shall wash away that which is written. You have been told also that life is darkness and in your weariness you echo what was said by the weary. And I say that life is indeed darkness, save when there is urge, and all urge is blind, save when there is knowledge, and all knowledge is vain, save when there is work, and all work is empty, save when there is love. 
And when you work with love, you bind yourself to yourself and to one another and to God. And what is it to work with love? It is to weave the cloth with threads drawn from your heart, even as if your beloved were to wear that cloth. It is to build a house with affection, even as if your beloved were to dwell in that house. It is to sow seeds with tenderness and reap the harvest with joy, even as if your beloved were to eat the fruit. It is to charge all things you fashion with a breath of your own spirit and to know that all the blessed dead are standing about you and watching. Often have I heard you say as if speaking in sleep, he who works in marble and finds the shape of his own soul in the stone is nobler than he who plows the soil. And he who seizes the rainbow to lay in it on a cloth in the likeness of man is more than he who makes the sandals for our feet. But I say, not in sleep, but in the overwakefulness of noontide, that the wind speaks not more sweetly to the giant oaks than to the least of all the blades of grass. And he alone is great who turns the voice of the wind into a song made sweeter by his own loving. Work is love made visible. And if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work with joy. For if you bake bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feeds but half man's hunger. And if you grudge the crushing of the grapes, your grudge distills a poison in the wine. And if you sing through, though as angels and love not the singing, you muffle man's ears to the voices of the day and the voices of the night. <laughs> Honestly, I read that. You know, a week ago when I started, you know, this podcast, blown away. You know, honestly, this passage came to me at the exact right moment. A moment where I am attempting to find purpose in this life. To me, the most profound line of that reading was work is love made visible. That line on top of sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work with joy, truly put into perspective this life we lead. To work with love is of the utmost importance. That yes, right now, purpose and true fulfillment are, are eluding me, but I can still work with joy, such that I have on this episode, such that I did whilst shoveling many inches of snow from our driveway over the last few days such that I did through my entire athletic training career, such that I did when working 24 hours straight clearing snow up in New Hampshire last season. I thankfully always worked with joy and love of what I was doing. That through this, I have been handsomely rewarded with memories, experiences, knowledge, brothers, friends, stories, and a few dollars. Now, yes, I am working towards understanding how to live in and utilize money while in this system that I cannot fully support, but with some joyful work, I just may be able to help change the world. Now, before we uh, get to reading from the Bible on work, I want to close out a little bit about Khalil Gibran. 
you know, he wasn't perfect. You know, he died on April 10th, 1931 of cirrhosis. You know, he led, led a hermetic lifestyle, which led to his intrigue some, you know. And he was never critically acclaimed, as we like to say, you know, because the critics didn't care for what they called sentimental, overwritten, artificial, and uh, affected, otherwise known as assumed artificially or unnatural, the work that the prophet was. But his ideas... And the unconventional beauty of his language in the work of the prophet and the moral earnestness allowed his ideas to speak to a broad audience, unlike most poets of the 20th century. And his popularity testifies to that. You know, when we look at the book, it originally came out, you know, it sold 13,000 copies during the Great Depression. It sold 60,000 copies in 1944, which is near the end of World War II. So you think about a couple of the most difficult times in human history, people wanted hope. You know, and eventually it sold a million copies by 1957. And it, I'm sure is, I didn't look up how many it has sold since then, but I'm sure it's through the roof. He's the best-selling American poet of the 20th century. You know, so don't, don't ever let your doubts or, you know, fears or you aren't this or that or, you know, touted or acclaimed or, you know, part of the in-crowd stop you from becoming potentially how great you can become you know so you know Khalil Gibran not a perfect man but he helped change the world he helped change my world he impacted my world many times and I'm thankful for that you know now as we always do you know I want to incorporate the bible in, into this podcast and you know I feel there's great teachings in there and you know before I get into some of these teachings I actually began started learning Hebrew yesterday you know, it's hit me like, and I've said it before, you know, that to truly understand the Bible, you must read it in its native tongue. And the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was mainly written in Greek. You know, and I actually do, took some, or actually studied Greek for, you know, a few months, a couple years back when I was sitting at home during lockdown. But it's interesting that I, I can actually read Greek. I can sound it out. I can't tell you what many of the words are, if any. You know, off dash, uh, off the, uh, so it's like man and, and woman, um, or no, that's a boy and girl, but it, I remember some of it, but I'm wanting to learn Hebrew because I feel that that, and when I started saying some of the things in Hebrew, it sounded just poetic and it sounded godly. It's like, oh my, oh my God, like this, this language is, is unique and it's it's honestly not hard. Language isn't hard. You just have to come into it knowing you're going to be a... You need to be a child. You need to be childlike. You need to forget everything. And when you're learning something new, you almost have to do that with any aspect of learning something new, but language specifically. you know. And, and if you go in thinking it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. But if you go in with an open mind, an open body and spirit, especially when it's something surrounding God, you're going to be kiffing everything. It, it's It's cool. You know, it makes flashcards, you know, you know, alphabet, gimel, deleth, uh, he, vav, cyan, hecht, techt, yod, lemed, oh no, I forget one, yod, no, no, I'm right, no, something, lemed, mem, noon, samek, ayen, pe, is uh, tsare 
Kuf Resh Shin Sin and Tav. I'm forgetting one uh, letter. What letter is that? Oh, I gotta look it up real quick. Kaf. I always forget Kaf. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It makes flashcards. You can learn anything, but you got to put in the work. You know. And so, what does the Bible say about work? You know, when discussing work in the Bible, we must start at the beginning. For as we have mentioned earlier, you know, creation comes from work, and work is creation. Such that Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then Genesis 1.26, when, and if you look into the, the number 26, it's a magical number. Um, you know, but 1.26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And I didn't realize creatures, it, it looks like create. It looks like creation. It's another unique English term. And the English language is, is, is very unique. Um, you know, but you know, notice the words created and make. For through love, God created all of this and gave it to us as mankind to rule over this land with love. That if we were made in his image, we should, not, we should act accordingly and use love and the love of work to create and further our collective existence. Tikum olam, to heal the soul of the world. Such that when we look at Genesis 2.15, this is made abundantly clear. Genesis 2.15 the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, yes, we have fallen from grace, from the garden of our birth, but God did instruct us to work it, as in work the land, keep it, to protect it, to create from it, to take what we have in our current situation and do the best to create a heaven on earth. That is the act of er. The act of working can be viewed as a gift if you so choose. And that goes back to the attitude you have towards work. That work can be a gift. That through hard work and creation, afterwards, you know, I, I've, if you go to my Instagram page, not the, the podcast page, it's uh, mghunter uh, underscore the alchemist. And you can look back into some of my old stuff. I created, you know, furniture. I built furniture and I, I painted pallets and you know, I, I, I was blown away. I remember doing that and creating all of it. And, oh, it's just, it's such a great feeling. You know, when you create. You know, the Bible also discusses laziness. And that work is highly spoken of such that we can love, or we can look at Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And Paul writes, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We, have, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy buddies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. We must work to eat. This is something that I fully believe in, that... You know, for myself, I want to produce, create, or give so that I can earn what I have in this life. That I don't want any part of a handout. I don't want anything given to me. You know, that when you bring value into this world, you become valuable. 
also within this verse we see that you know Paul was writing some some that Paul were writing to had become disruptive so that plays right into the colloquial saying idle hands are the tools of the devil idleness you know so now let's take a look at Luke 10:23 he told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers unto his harvest field go i am sending you out like lambs among wolves jesus here was telling us that there's much work to be done such that even in our time whether it be god's work or work in you know a more normal fashion of the term there is work to be done and it's up to us to decide where we want to expend our energy and to complete some of this work knowing full well that there are wolves out there don't be fearful for God is with you. Something to always remind yourself of is, who is your boss? For ultimate boss in this life is God. Such that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So remember that, yes, you may be toiling, you may be hurting, you may be struggling. Remember, you'll be rewarded that your time of rest will come. And speaking of rest, let us not forget Genesis 2, 23 and Exodus 20, 8 through 10. Or, I'm sorry, Genesis 2, 2 and 3, which is by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it, or on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Now, yes, I'm still working on figuring out, quote-unquote, a rest today, a Sabbath in the eyes of the Lord, that I know I am not following this in the truest sense of the word as I was working on this, you know, yesterday to put this episode together. But I will make the argument that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and what I'm doing here is an attempt to heal the world. So, yes, I will have to ask God's forgiveness in this pursuit. Remember, though, that rest is a crucial aspect to life that it assists in recovery and resetting your mind, your body, and your soul. You know, now the Sabbath is an interesting term. You know, we've lost the Sabbath because we use a Gregorian calendar and then we've changed calendars throughout history. And, you know, we don't truly know what that day is. I mean, it's, I've heard some say it's hidden within you know, Leviticus or Deuteronomy. And I got to do more research on that. I got to find out what is the true Sabbath because it's not Sunday because Sunday is worship of the sun. That's garbage. That's not the Sabbath. You know, again, the English language is, in my opinion, is used as a tool to, to control. Uh, we can tell on that more later. But, um, you know, the Sabbath. I, I got to work on trying to figure out how to keep that holy. And I'm, and I'm working on, you know, figuring out my life. <laughs> I'm waiting on paperwork so I can get a license because my wallet was, in my opinion, stolen, whatever, disappeared. You know, so I am up here in, in Ohio for the time being. And I don't know what I'm doing moving forward. But I know God will provide my way. You know, and that you know, through work, through these podcasts, I'm learning my way and I'm giving back 
You know, whether it's just my father that listens, which I, I thank him, and I think my mom might have listened to an episode, I thank her. You know, and I do hope that this reaches somebody someday, somewhere, and that it changes their life. You know, so again, as always, I thank you for listening. You know, these episodes are a way for me to share my knowledge with the world as I work to figure out ways to do this in person on a greater scale. Because I want to. I want to, I want to do this in person, you know, because that's when we truly make the difference, when you can hug somebody. You can shake their hand. You can look them in their eyes. You know, we've become divided. You know, and I touched on it earlier, division. We're so, we're a society lost in solitude and loneliness of being alone. You know, you look at things coming out such as the Oculus. You know, video games have taken over. And, you know, I used to play video games with my brothers growing up. And we'd get a special adapter for, you know, Sega Genesis. You know, so that all four of us could play at the same time on the same unit. Well, they don't do that anymore. You need your own TV. You need your own unit. Your own room. And you get a headset. And yeah, I remember seeing a commercial on TV recently where these two guys are playing online. And they're like great friends. You know, and they're celebrating. And then they slowly look at the wall. And then they yell at their neighbor through a wall of an apartment. But unbeknownst to them, they're, they're the guys playing online together. But they don't even know who each other are. And they're yelling at each other through the wall. And it's like, come on. So again, we need to come together. And I hope to be able to bring this together, you know, in person to people. You know, that through work, we can show our love. And our love of work and our love of each other. That through labor, we can become greater. Through reading, through sharing, through understanding that we are a little lost but to remember that to change the world, you got to put in the work.